Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of Sequel Cast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. What do you know about goodness? Deep down, you are wicked. You're not wicked! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From Shock Treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of us that I informed you that the show will now be. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. Uh, our, the theme song you just heard was written and performed by Mark with a C, and you can check out our website at sequelcast.com. Uh, we're wrapping up our look at the Oz films, and uh, oh yeah, before I go into that, uh, Sequelcast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshippretension.com. I'm Matt, with me is Thrasher. Hello, hello. And we're wrapping up this uh, little look at films based off the uh, Oz stories with the very recent film, Oz the Great and Powerful, directed by Sam Raimi, inspired by the books by Frank L. Baum, starring James Franco, Mila Kunis, Rachel Weisz, and Michelle Williams, uh, music by Danny Elfman, cinematography by Peter Deming. And right there is a red flag, inspired by, not based on. Yes, uh, this is edited by Bob Murawski, who's done, you know, Sam Raimi's film since uh, Army of Darkness, basically, as an editor. And um, so far, worldwide, you know, it's still making money, but it's grossed almost half a billion dollars worldwide off a budget of $215 million, which uh, $215 million is pretty expensive, but then consider stuff like, oh, I don't know, Transformers uh, 2 costs closer to like $300 million or something, so... And somehow made that back. Yeah, no, several times the Transformer uh, live-action films are very successful, and this one, this Oz Great and Powerful is successful, but it's not um, It's not making Alice in Wonderland money, which made like a billion dollars, but it's still doing pretty well. So, uh, Thrasher, you said you had some uh, trouble finding the movie still playing at theaters near you. What, what sort of, what are the movie theaters like in your neck of the woods in Kentucky? Ah, yes, Matthew, let me tell you a tale. Okay, so... Uh, so we live in Frankfurt, Kentucky. That's the state capital. And there are only two theaters here. There's one uh, general release theater that uh, only recently got digital projection, although still uh, doesn't do three, still can't do 3D. Hmm. Uh, then we've also got one uh, kind of in- independent theater, which shows concerts. It's a small venue theater that shows concerts, plays, and sometimes movies, but it's always, it's almost always like revival movies, uh, such as, you know, like, like they just recently did a run of Alfred Hitchcock films, things like that. So uh, about the, how many screens are on each of those theaters? Uh, the, the revival theater, I actually don't know. Uh, the, I think it's just one stage, at least just one main stage. I think there might be a smaller theater venue inside uh, that's just it's just for like special screenings, but the the regular theater has uh, 
I believe six screens and oh, okay. it's, it's six screens, but it always shows eight films. So I think they're, I think they're switching back and forth for, uh, in some of the, some of their theaters. And well, anyway, so, uh, you know, they, they get, they get stuff in that theater in and out all the time. And they had Oz, the great and powerful for, for quite some time. But when we decided to do the Oz films, it stopped showing there. Mm. So, like almost on the day we decided to do the Oz films, they put they pulled it from the screens. So, uh, Sarah, uh, you know, I needed to see it. Sarah wanted to see it, so we went looking around. And one option we had was to drive into Lexington to see a movie, and that's quite a drive. And you know, if, if you're going to drive into Lexington, you're, if we're going to drive into Lexington, we're going to have to spend the whole day there, kind of to make it worthwhile, just with the expense of gas and time and whatnot. Oh, sure, and. Driving to Lexington to see a movie is always a dicey prospect because if we show up early, we're going to end up doing errands and things, and then we'll be exhausted by the time the movie starts. And if we start with the movie, if it's a good movie or a bad movie, we won't want to do anything else because uh, we'll be at an emotional extreme that'll make us want to blow off uh, responsibilities and commitments. So we keep digging around, and uh, we find much closer there's a theater in Shelbyville that's showing Oz the Great and Powerful. So we figure, okay, well we'll, well, we'll check out this theater in Shelbyville. It's much closer, and we've, and we've never really been to Shelbyville, so who knows? Maybe, maybe it'll be a, a cool trip. Maybe we'll learn, see some cool things we hadn't seen before. So we, uh, we drive out to Shelbyville uh, yesterday. To, uh, well, yesterday as of this recording, uh, not necessarily yesterday when you're listening. So we drive out there. We get to the theater. Uh, and it's, it's, the theater is like in the middle of nowhere, but it's not a bad kind of nowhere. So we get into the theater and we, uh, we go up to get tickets and it's not showing there. Oh, man. even, even though the, the website said it was, and we found, and we found out why they are getting digital projection and 3d installed, but they're doing it one theater at a time. Ah, and they okay. just so happened to be installing it. The one that you know, Oz was playing at was yeah on the screen okay. where, Oz, where Oz was playing. So there's no way we're going to see that movie. Well, we've driven all the way out there, and we really want to see a movie. Uh, and we decided we're going to kind of make it a date night. So we look, we 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 look at what's available, and so we decide to see Oblivion, starring Tom Cruise. Uh, okay. And so we get, you know, we get tickets for that. And I do not lie; these are uh, it was nine twenty five each for our tickets. I think that's cheap. You think that's expensive? Compared compared to what we pay at the local theater and at the theater in Lexington we usually go to, yes, that is. Let me tell I, you something, Thrasher. I mean, so I, I live on the West Coast, live in Portland, Oregon, and, and stuff in the West Coast tends to be uh, more expensive, even though Portland isn't that big of a city. So it, was this a film you saw in 3D or something? Was it on an IMAX screen? Uh, no, no. It was, was it uh, just, not 3D. It was not IMAX. Just digital projection 2D, right? Yes, the Oblivion uh, film. Um, gee, okay, so oh, well, I'm assuming digital projection. The image was very, very crisp, but I don't know. So to give you an idea, um, you know, uh, out here uh, the local mall shows a lot of has actually two movie theaters and one of these is which I saw the this uh, Oz Great and Powerful film at to get a, a 2D ticket cost you I'm trying to look it up jeez I think if it's a matinee it might cost you uh maybe like like 7 or 8 bucks 
if you're seeing a movie in 3D, it'll cost you uh, probably 16 or $18 a ticket. Ugh. So... Well, that may be the way the market functions in Portland, but the way the free market functions in Kentucky, those were still criminally priced tickets. Not not to 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 cheapen the criminal pricing of the concessions. Uh, I I tweeted uh, I tweeted from the theater that sneaking sneaking your own food and drinks into the theater is now a moral imperative. Uh, because that that those are ridiculous ridiculous. Well, let's table this right. this theater discussion for the what you're watching segment. Where you can that's good because I would like to talk about this movie. About the uh, if I can film. also just say, yes. the showing we went to was over uh, twenty minutes late, and even then, once it started, there was still a full half hour of trailers. Yeah, they we can be a lot sometimes. We were we were there for about four got danged hours. It was a, a very miserable uh, experience for the two of us. Did you do shopping or stuff in town? No, by the time by the, it was after ten. By the time we got out, there was no every place we could have shopped was closed, oh as well my. as every place we could have eaten because we hadn't had dinner. Nom nom indeed. Okay, Oz it, the Great it was miserable. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. Um, Oz the Great and Powerful, you know, uh, directed by Sam Raimi, who I don't think we've uh, covered Sam Raimi on the sequel cast before. No, but we like, should. We I, really I find him to be a, a wonderful filmmaker. Special, uh, and you know, he's probably best known for doing the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films or the uh, the Evil Dead uh, trilogy, and um, all that sort of stuff. So, Oz the Great and Powerful. You know, around the time this was being made, director Sam Raimi spent a whole year developing a World of Warcraft movie. And oh, yeah. As part of the deal with that, uh, Blizzard Entertainment, who makes the video games, wanted to have a big say in the movie to make sure it was a quality uh, product. Which, you know, I don't blame them. That's a very Warcraft, and the World of Warcraft in particular. You know, all that stuff's very valuable. Diablo, Starcraft, all of it. So... Uh, Ramey and his team spent a year developing a script, storyboards, all this stuff, and they hand it over to Blizzard, and Blizzard says, uh, that's not what we want to do when we get first rights to veto stuff. And so Ramey felt like he wasted a whole year and um, decided to do this. Uh, Oz, great and powerful. Instead, he didn't want to change what his idea was for the Warcraft movie. The current director that's uh, working on the Warcraft film is Duncan Jones, who directed uh, the movie Moon. Uh, which was a pretty good science fiction film with Sam Rockwell. And uh, originally, in, in this film, it's James Franco that plays a part of the titular Wizard of Oz, but they were courting uh, Robert Downey Jr. for the part. I would have r- really liked to have seen Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I don't know if he was too busy doing all the Avengers and Iron Man uh, films or what have you, or the Sherlock Holmes, or just didn't grab him for whatever reason. But I can see... I mean, the character of Oz in this film... And do you mind if I spoil this film, Thrasher? No, go right ahead. In fact, okay. I, to, 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 as penance for not being able to see the movie, I've been reading a lot of reviews and a lot of critical breakdowns of the film. So I, I am at least somewhat familiar with it. Okay, and, and be sure to chime in with uh, to comment on what I'm talking about and what you've read in the reviews. Groovy. Um, What's that? Majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with a sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the Full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. 
If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sail for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display armada. You know, the character of Oz is kind of a cad. He's a bit of a charlatan and likes to likes his ways uh, with the women and everything. And um, the beginning of the film is in black and white. The acting is very sort of mannered, and it's even filmed in the Academy uh, square ratio. Huh. Which is, you know, the way the entire original Wizard of Oz film was, because that's how movies all used to be filmed. Widescreen was only invented as a way to compete with uh, television to give people an experience they couldn't have in the home. Um, I do want to mention when I saw this, we intentionally saw it in 2D. Whenever I see something in 3D, I, you know, aside from the tickets costing a good bit more, it just gives me uh, a headache, and I find the effect wears off after five minutes because my eyes get used to 3D effect. Um, that being said, you know, we, we've done a whole sequel cast special on, on 3D films. and A good one, if I may say so. I think so, and you can check that out at SequelCast.com. Check out the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And if you like what, what you're listening to, hey, why not donate at SequelCast.com slash donate, where you can donate to us via PayPal, help uh, throw a few shekels our way, help out the show. So, um, what would you like to know about Oz Great and Powerful, Thrasher? Well, one thing that that really jumps out, and you know, I, I say this as someone who who has read or had read to me a small sampling of the Oz books, but but who's learned much more about them, you know, since my childhood. Frank L. Baum primarily deals with female protagonists, and and yeah. to me, it almost it feels like a an outright betrayal of the source material to make the uh, protagonist in this film a guy. Well, there's a lot of female characters in in the film. But are they good female characters? Um, you don't mind if I go into that, right? You already said you don't care, but I just want to make no, no, sure. No, no, yeah, I, I, want, I want us to. Okay, this is more for the listener, because on sequel cast, we typically don't talk about new films. We're going to we're gonna spoil this thing. So oh, yeah. if, if you really want to see Oz Great and Powerful, push pause on your iPod or computer or whatever, go and watch the film, and then come back and listen. We'll wait. We'll wait. Okay, so now that you've seen the film, uh, <laughs> I don't know. right? Uh, out of the main three uh, female characters, once they get to Oz, two out of three are bad. One is uh, Rachel Weisz plays Evanor, Wicked Witch of the East. Mila Kunis plays Theodora, who uh, you know initially looks like a normal person, and then uh, her sister, uh, played by Rachel Weisz, uh, basically turns her into the evil uh, Wicked Witch of the West with the green face and everything. And uh, the only good uh, character, who also happens to be a witch, is Glinda, Good Witch of the South. Played by Michelle Williams, who used to be married to uh, Heath Ledger. And she also played Marilyn Monroe in My Life with Marilyn. Her uh, recent biopic that was pretty neat. So, yes, I mean, although there's female characters, two out of the three are, are bad, one of which is revealed in a plot twist. Um... But I mean, you're if you're gonna do a prequel story about uh, about Wizard of Oz, you might as well focus on on the wizard. I guess are you gonna have like the story of like Oz being created out of the ether or, or what have you? I don't know. I think it's okay, um, and, and the characters all get their moments. It's you also have a, a character that's a 
I believe she's CG animated, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's a China girl from Chinatown, where everything is made out of China and breaks easy. And uh, a thing about this film that I enjoyed, which is actually an element of the book, oh, um... Jeez, I'm sorry. I've been reading it. I just can't the, the Tin it. Woodsman of Oz, TikTok of Oz. Uh. I think it might be Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. Oh, jeez, it, it's some roundabout title. But anyway, the Wizard has to you know fake what his magic is by, in this case, you know what was then modern day technology of like uh, super glue and parlor tricks. And good old American know-how. Good old American know-how, right. So, um, and yeah, James Franco as an actor, I think it's okay. He's really good at flashing this cheesy, huge grin when he's trying to be sincere. And I I think some of the effects were, were pretty well done, but the blue screen, um, I, just, I don't think the film was composited well. It, it looks like everyone's walking against a flat surface. Or is that a side effect of being uh, of the of the 3D uh, versus 2D? It could be. You know, I didn't see this in 3D, so maybe had I seen it in 3D, it would have blended a bit better. Yeah, because like, since we've done that 3D episode, one thing I have noticed when I see when I see films that have been released in in 2D and 3D is that very often one of those versions looks like it was shot by people who just didn't care. Sometimes it's a 3D version, sometimes it's the 2D version, but there's just all these weird quirks with the depth of field in one of the two versions that makes it seem like that version was an afterthought. Legally, uh, an intriguing thing about this film is, you know, MGM owns the rights to the film Wizard of Oz, and certain visual elements of that film they could not recreate in this film, Oz the Great and Powerful, which was released uh, by Disney. So the Wicked Witch couldn't have a mole on her chin. Uh, the skin couldn't be the exact same color as in the old Wizard of Oz film. The yellow brick road had to look a little bit different. There's all these little things they could not do. You could not have ruby slippers. Um, that being said, they still managed to throw quite a lot of homages in there. I guess that's unavoidable. I mean, that is the version of the story that the most people are familiar with. Right, and they didn't want to pay the all the money for the rights to that, <laughs> like they did with Return to Oz for the Ruby Slippers. Yeah. And uh, doing some research for this, I was flipping through some of the old Oz books, and in fact, in the very first Wizard of Oz book, there's a chapter where they go to a town where everyone is made of China, and they break easy. And you get the China girl in this film, so I thought that was an interesting callback to a book a lot of people frankly haven't read well i mean i guess that is that is a, a nice touch is that is that it, 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 is that they clearly the people who made this film read the source material even if they're not keeping it true to the source material hmm. so i guess that's kind of a half step how about this another person considered for the lead instead of james franco was johnny depp oh god i i I respect Johnny Depp as an actor, but damn, I am I am tired of seeing him in movies. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that Lone Ranger movie. Have you seen that one yet? I have not seen the trailer. No, every every photo I see of of the set or of the characters just concerns me. I guess is the best <laughs> way I can describe it. 
you know, I think the makeup for Tonto, uh, played by Johnny Depp, is really interesting. But the way the character acted reminded me so much of um, Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's not just because it's, it's done by the same director as uh, those first three films in that franchise. And, like, I don't know, it just reminded me of Wild Wild West or something from the trailer. It's it's difficult to get a Western and get it done right. I think the only one recently that has done really well, uh, 310 to Yuma, I think, did okay, and um, which is remake. And Django Unchained, but I mean Tarantino, it's is never really a straight uh, genre either. So, what is some more you'd like to know about this film? Well, okay. Well, it's, it's, do you the characters from this film that show up in other Oz films, such as The Witches and whatnot? Mm-hmm. How do, how do they hold up to other portrayals? Good question. Um, I mean, so like the character Rachel Weiss plays is basically the witch that Dorothy's house falls on in the beginning of Wizard of Oz. So that one you can't really compare. But um, well, does she wear the same stripy socks? She doesn't wear the same stripy socks, but near the end of the film, she uh, some something happens where some some spell gets cast on her. And she reveals her true form, which is a an evil looking hag. It looks like the woman from the basement of Evil Dead Two, huh. <laughs> and with the same sort of screaming and crazy camera work when they do that reveal, her crawling along the floor, trying to hide, screaming. It's pretty neat, pretty Sam uh, Raimi right there. Uh, Michelle Williams is Clint of the Good Witch of the South. It does remind me of the the character in the film. She's just so bubbly, even when. Um, terrible things are happening and that's perhaps one of the more interesting things of the film is uh oz reveals to glinda that you know he's really a charlatan he's not the real wizard although in oz in this film one thing that they always tend to do with these prequel movies to story tales um i said story time at fairy tales <laughs> is they they say you know oh you're the person of the prophecy oh god i hate that and they do that in this movie or it's like Oz. Oh, Oz is the person coming from the faraway land and the prophecy. He's going to save uh, uh, save the kingdom from the witches, right? And even though um, Glinda the Good Witch realizes uh, he's a sham, she says, that's not important that you can't do this magic. You have to make the people believe that you can do it. Because you are their only hope. Well, on on the one hand, you know, I, I do like the idea that he that what Oz needs is is a is a con man to kind of create a myth that the people of Oz can believe in and rally behind. Although at the same time, I really am tired of prophecies as part of any hero's journey for a number of reasons. One, I feel that it robs the protagonists of of any agency. Two, the idea that a, that there's a prophecy is just kind of there and it's never explored. We very rarely learn what the prophecy specifically says, who delivered the prophecy, why it's important, why people believe in it. It's just something. It's just something that's there. Hmm. I mean, do you, do, how do you feel about the the way the prophecy is used in this film? The prophecy is a bit forced, but you have. I mean, the character of Oz is revealed to be very selfish and he wants nothing to do with the prophecy until he's revealed that, um, you know, he'll be the king of Oz. He'll get this room full of treasure, all the treasure he ever wanted. 
And it's that, that money that really convinces him to do the job to begin with. Well, actually, is there, is there any... Uh, I, I know this is a, a quibbling kind of detail, but why do they call him Oz? Because <laughs> that's the name of the land. Uh, the character's name is Oscar Diggs, and his nickname is Oz. Oh, okay. It just—it just always seems seems weird when, like, a per- a person that rules a thing is also named the same as that thing. Yeah, the the third character, I guess, that's um, you know, from the the film and the book, besides Oz himself. Is Mila Kunis playing Theodore, who becomes the evil green, uh, wicked witch of the West? How how is she? Because yeah, I, I found I've actually I've come to like her as an actress more and more, mainly from seeing her in things like Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I think she's uh, she's very pretty. I I liked her in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I I thought she was very good in uh, Ted. And as Meg in Family Guy, she does the best with what she can do, which is just sort of the, a character that's the butt of everyone's jokes. Um, and, and this, I watch so much Family Guy that when I see her talk in other films, I close my eyes, I can just think of Meg from Family Guy. And when she turns into the witch, her, her screaming, her voice becomes so shrill, it's, uh, it's almost painful to listen to. And like, yeah, witchers are supposed to scream, but uh, the Wicked Witch of the West from the film... Is not that high pitched. Would you think they were treating her voice at all? Uh, sure, I bet they were, and I bet they couldn't make it sound just like the Margaret Hamilton in the nineteen thirty nine film. You know, and the, the chin looks a little bit too like there's something off about that makeup too. Like the nose looks good, the chin is a little bit too big, and they had to legally make it look a bit different from the other film too. Yeah. I mean, she's solid green, and if you go back and look at the old Wizard of Oz film, it's kind of a mixture of yellow and yellowish green around the eyes, and it transitions into a darker green. Um, well, here's a, another question related to that. Uh, there was a lot of witch cleavage on some of the posters for this movie. Does that carry out into the film, or was that just an example of sex selling? You had, you had some witch, witch cleavage, but I, I don't think it's it's all the way throughout probably the most just from uh, Rachel Weiss and she plays the the part of the wicked witch of the east as a as kind of sultry kind of coy you know i could have easily imagined uh, helena bonham carter in that same part hmm. as the witch in oz i think she would have been good as well uh, a- as the two companion characters in the film you get zach braff as finley a uh, a winged monkey who was rescued by Oz and then accompanies him, kind of being his baggage, uh, his you know, uh, baggage how, mule. How does how does he work out? Because I, I generally speaking, I just I do not like uh, Zach Braff as a performer. and I'm actually a little bit offended that lots of people compare me to him oh. in public, not on this, not because of my work on this podcast. But I've also heard that he actually does a pretty good turn as the monkey. Hey there, Will. You look a lot like that Zach. What's his name? Zach Braff, fella. That's it. You are dead to me. Um, he's fine. I think he pitches up his voice a little bit so he doesn't sound just like himself. And uh, he also plays Oz's assistant in the beginning in film, which takes place in Earth. 
Oh, that's cool. So you kind of get that mirroring. You also get the China girl is played by this uh, new assistant that Oz has on Earth that he kind of tries to seduce. He always uses the same cheesy line with everyone. And in fact, the the whole reason why the Wicked Witch of the West uh, turns bad is Oz seduces her and then leaves her. You know, just as uh, just as using her as a way to get the um, get to be the ruler of Oz, just pumps her for information, basically. Well, hmm, now he, and that now he envy has a makes question. her green. Does he stay a sympathetic protagonist after that? I don't think the character is ever really that sympathetic. He's a real asshole. He just looks out for himself. He's just in it for the money. Um, you know, kind of like uh, Han Solo in the Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And if you want to hear us talk about the Star Wars films, you can check those episodes of SequelCast out at www.sequelcast.com. Um, so, I mean, at the end, he makes a little bit of a of a transition, but you feel like, sure, his life on Oz, he has it much better than he does on Earth. So, I, I don't know what they're going to do for a sequel for this, because it seems like this is successful enough where they'd want to do a sequel. Is it, but it's not confirmed whether there's one in development? Uh, no, it's in development. They're writing a script for it. Um, I think they'd want it still to focus on Oz, which is really strange. Yeah, I guess it's so weird because there's such a wealth of of Frank L. Baum's material. It it just seems so weird to spin off this kind of hero's journey franchise. That, it might that, just be about who has the rights to do it off the, the books. I don't know. Well, I, I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my understanding that the books, or at least most of the books, were in the public domain now. Um, well, I, I, I suppose that's right. I mean... I guess at the time Return to Oz was made, they had a deal to do movies, but that you might have still had the uh, extenuating copyright with the estate. Well, I think I think the copyright lapsed in the nineties. Okay, I'm so that, that, that could be then. I mean, certainly there was a lot of cartoons and things about uh, Wizard of Oz and so forth. So you look at the film. Uh, I mean, the most interesting sidekick character is not. Uh, the Wayne Monkey Finley, it is the China Girl, played by Joey King. And um, there's a lot of feistiness to the character. I think the animation on that character is much better than any of the animation elsewhere in the film. You have really good lighting. She kind of is, uh, you know, she does an act where she's like crying because uh, Oz doesn't want to take her with him on his little adventure. Um, and he eventually gives in. And then she immediately changes her tune to like, yay, we're going to go kill a witch. Weird. Yeah, so it's it's a kind of schizoid, charming character. Uh, I mean, so this obviously thing... takes place before they voted to outlaw death in Oz. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's one of the neat, that's an interesting element earlier in the film that I wish they would have concentrated on more, is he goes to Oz in Emerald City, and he meets, uh, he initially meets the, uh, um, Theodore, played by Mila Kunis, then he meets the sister, Evanor, Rachel Weiss, and she says, you know, oh, the king to the, you can be the king of Oz all you like, but you have to uh, bring back the staff and kill the the wicked witch. And um, they're trying to get him to kill Glinda the good witch, as it turns out, but you don't know that at the time. And she's in a graveyard. A yeah, she's in a graveyard, and it's kind of creepy, and uh, they end up changing his mind. 
And that's another part of the reason why the Wicked Witches are, are against them. Do you like the TV show Friends? Then check out Watching Friends with me, Mark. And me, Ryan. Every week as we go through every episode of this iconic TV show, giving you behind-the-scenes facts, our thoughts on every scene, and some personal stories. Do you know which actor can't remember how many seasons of the show there are? How about the one common household object that could never be seen on the show? We've got the answers and more as we explore Friends in-depth every week. Watching Friends, only on the Hyperx Podcast Network. Spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon. What mad universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What mad universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe Podcast on the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello fans, as part of the HyperX Podcast Network, we're letting you know that this year is HyperX's 20th birthday. To celebrate, they're offering some great deals on their award-winning gaming gear. If you're in the market for a new headset, a new microphone, blue light-blocking eyewear, or any number of other high-quality HyperX products, head on over to HyperX20.com, that's HyperX20.com, to check out all the birthday deals. Once again, check out the HyperX 20th birthday sale over at HyperX20.com. Again, that's HyperX20.com. So it's all about what did the prophecy really mean? Was it in favor of the evil witches or in favor of the good witch? Well, uh, do they ever flat out say what the prophecy is, or is it just this vague notion that a man from another world is going to show up and do something? It's pretty vague. It's like a man from another world is going to come and save us. You know, but save it wasn't us from super- danger. Uh, and he's going to be a wizard. That, that's part of it, certainly. One, uh, I'm trying to think what else. You, you do get to see the Munchkins in this film. Cool. And they do a musical number that is cut off because Oz can't stand uh, musical numbers. Is that the only musical number? Yes. <laughs> how abbreviated is it? About how long does it last? Uh, not even a minute, really. Maybe a bit longer than a minute. I, I'll admit, I kind of I kind of like it when somebody in, in in a movie or TV show or whatnot where a musical number happens, but someone is clearly noticing that it's a musical number and is wondering why a whole choreographed dance sequence is happening. And I bet I would have liked that had I seen it uh, yesterday. I bet I would have liked that gag. That's my kind of gag. There's another gag in the film that's similar, where actor Tony Cox, who is a uh He's he's an African American dwarf actor mm-hmm. who was in um, Bad Santa. I don't know if you oh, saw that. Oh yeah, yeah actually, I, I like his work. He was in one of uh, Gallagher's specials, and he was point. actually in Willow. Believe it or not, huh. um, was one of Willow's friends in the beginning. But yeah, in this uh, in this film, he's kind of like the the herald of Emerald City, and he after Oz says something, he always wants to play music on his trumpet, and uh, Oz always cuts him off. He's like, no, not yet. I don't want to hear that. And then he plays it at the end to comedic effect. Do uh, well, actually, how do they how do they uh, depict the Emerald City compared to some of the other films we've seen? It's um, it's pretty pretty vivid. I mean, again, legally they have to make it look different than the Emerald City in the Wizard of Oz film. 
So you don't have the domes on the top of the towers. Instead, they're more like regular towers. Um, I guess before I, I wrap up the discussion on the film, why don't we take a minute to talk about the website? Our website? Our website at SequelCast.com. So well, all righty. Not only can you go there to check out past episodes of the SequelCast and our other podcasts, uh, SequelCast Special, Sequel Commentary, and Video Game SequelCast, but you can uh, listen to the SequelCast shows through a link on there at Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher Smart Radio is an app that lets you listen to podcast streaming on the go. And uh, it's a convenient way if you don't want to wait like 10 minutes for a podcast to download. You just listen to stuff on Stitcher. And if you sign up with Stitcher at stitcher.com slash SequelCast, SequelCast automatically gets added as one of your favorites. And uh, also, if you want to donate, we get a link on there at SequelCast.com slash donate. You can donate via PayPal. Anything is greatly appreciated. Doing a podcast, you get fees like hosting fees, um, fees for equipment, fees for you know going and renting a movie for research, all that sort of stuff. We also have uh, links as a Amazon.com affiliate. If you want to rent a movie that we're talking about on the show, you can click in one of those links. And, you know, you can right now on there, you can go and rent either Wizard of Oz or Return to Oz for only $1.99. So each. And uh, as a instant streaming rental through Amazon, I think that's a pretty good deal. Right. Especially Return to Oz is out of print and hard to find on DVD. And you can also buy uh, merchandise for the sequel cast like buttons or whiskey flasks or T-shirts at CafePress.com slash sequel cast. So now back to the show. Uh, I'm going to wrap up talking about Oz, Great and Powerful, and then I'll move on to our other segments. Um, the end of the film, it does a nice reference to Oz projecting a large image of himself. It uses, I don't know if I, sort of like steampunk kind of technology for him to do these magic uh, events. There's references to characters like the Scarecrow, but you don't literally see the Scarecrow or the Cowardly Lion or the Tin Man in the film. Um, and in the end, you know, Oz doesn't go back to Earth. He stays in Oz. Well, I guess he, he has to be, so he can be the fake wizard when Dorothy shows up. Exactly. That's, uh... That's exactly it. So... And the way it ends, they could easily do Wizard of Oz as a sequel and make it closer to the book. I think that's what I would probably do if I was trying to do one. But we'll talk about more, that more in our next segment, Pitch a Sequel. Now we're going to rate the film out of five stars. I give Oz the Great and Powerful uh, probably three and a half out of five stars. It was better than I thought it would be. Uh, Mila Kunis' voice was annoying as the Wicked Witch of the West. And um, the special effects weren't quite up to the level that they should have been. I, I was greatly amused, I was greatly entertained, but I was not blown away. Well, I, I guess I have to give mine a quantum rating that will not take on a definite value until after I observe it. Okay, there you go. That's, that's our first quantum rating here on the sequel cast. So now we're going to do pitch a sequel, in which we pitch a sequel to the film we're talking about, pretending no sequels have been made. Um, so yeah, Oz the Great and Powerful... I would do a uh, a story that would uh, cross-cut, I think, between Oz getting older and the Wizard of Oz getting older in the Land of Oz and being more forgetful and at the same time 
having Dorothy as a young girl growing up and meeting the uh, the the lady. Oh, geez, but that's not even in the book. Well, I mean, you know, she she'd be meeting the her evil neighbor that wants to kill her dog, and so it's kind of like the origin story of Dorothy in Kansas, while also talking about Oz in the land of Oz, getting dementia, and being kind of weird and more more closed off, losing his friends, losing everyone he loves. How did he become such a weird old hermit? And I would call it... Young Dorothy and Old Oz. Well, I guess if I was picking a sequel, <laughs> I would do uh, I would do uh, a basket full of Oz, where uh, where the Wizard of Oz, the the newly crowned Wizard of Oz uh, wakes up one morning to find out that his whole life is a lie. That all the stuff that happened in this first film didn't actually happen. It was all a fr- uh, a test, an elaborate test organized by the witches, and he has, in fact, not proven himself uh, worthy of being the Wizard of Oz. So he's stripped of all his power, wealth, and authority, dropped into the middle of the deadly desert, and has to go on a quest to prove himself and eventually reclaim the Emerald City. However... It's at this point that one of because again this is just supposed to be this is supposed to be the real point where he earns earns his power. The wicked witch of the West decides. Well, you know, now that we've gotten rid of him, we might as well just keep this power for ourselves. She goes a bit power mad, and she event and then she truly becomes the antagonist he has to defeat to take back the Emerald City. And it turns out she's worse than a con man from Kansas could ever be. There, you know, there's. Oh, so much you can do with Oz. I'll be curious if the sequel to this actually gets off the ground, like um, which they were just scripting right now. So that'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Um, oh, actually, this is something that, that slipped my mind. Yeah. Okay, so the Wicked Witch of the West becomes an antagonist. So what exactly is what exactly is the Wizard of Oz supposed to be fighting before she goes evil? Well, like I said. He's given a mission to assassinate what he is told is the Wicked Witch, but it actually ends up being Glenda. Oh, but everyone thinks Glenda's a Wicked Witch? Well, they're trying to trick him, you see, by having him kill the Good Witch. Well, then who then, then what? Who did the people of Oz want killed? Um, they want the, the man from the prophecy, the wizard, to save them. From what? The people of Oz know there's a bad witch... But they they don't, just don't know who. Yeah, they don't they, know who or why. or. There's four <laughs> witches, and they know it's one of them. Yeah. But and they the, can't figure it out. Exactly, and the film <laughs> covers oh. three of the four witches. They never get into the Witch of the North. Good Lord. So uh, you just poked a big plot hole in the hot air balloon from the Oz film. So. Well, all right. That being said, um, let's do a, a segment of sequel news, which we go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast and look at some of the recent movie news I've been posting over there lately. Um, so one that jumps out to me is Dan Aykroyd is saying, as he's been saying for over a decade now, that Ghostbusters 3 is almost ready to film. They got uh, another, uh, another writer... Uh, Ethan Cohen, who's not related to the Cohen brothers, he's a different one, um, working on the script, he says it's in really good shape. Uh, what's still up in the air is if Bill Murray is going to reprise his role. 
in the film. And the idea is, I guess, the film is going to be a t- passing of the torch of the old Ghostbusters to a younger group of Ghostbusters. I mean, when they were trying to get this done in the late 90s, they were going to have, like, Chris Farley and uh, Ben Stiller and stuff in it. So what do you think? Do you think, would you like to see a Ghostbusters 3 or at this point? It's been so uh, many years. Should bygones be bygones? I would. I would be perfectly happy to never see another Ghostbusters film ever. That being said, I would love to see that version where the Ghostbusters go to hell and have to escape. I think there's yeah. a really good story there. Yeah, that's what one of the early scripts was about. Um, I think this new one has something to do with trans-dimensional stuff, but I'm not... Yeah, there was a, 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 a press release related to the film, a Ghostbusters sequel that came out, I think, two or three years ago. I think, actually, I think around the time we were reviewing the Ghostbusters films, and that was one of the things. There was, like, this, like, all these comments and, and like, cryptic passages in the press release about interdimensional technology and hip young Ghostbusters and rifts and things like that. I mean, if they never do a Ghostbusters 3, the closest thing there might have been would be that uh, video game that came out a few years ago. Which is a worthy addition to the franchise. Yeah. Although, although actually, speak, have you noticed that, that in the past 10, 20 years, uh, movies have been uh, m- using dimensions the same way movies from the 50s and 60s used radiation? Yeah, Thor did the whole dimension thing, basically. Uh, right, I mean, it, it, it's a quick, easy way to say, oh, we're being invaded. How? By a dimension portal? Okay. Well, it's not just that. It's like ghost stuff from another dimension. Yeah. Uh, what's a what's a news story off of Facebook.com slash SequelCast that you'd want to talk about? Well, actually, this, this connects to what we're talking about today. Uh, Zach Braff is on Kickstarter trying to uh, trying to raise money to make a follow-up to Garden State called yes. uh, Which I Was Here. And he's already raised half of the budget in, day, in a day, a million bucks. He is popular. Yeah, Garden State was a big, uh, a big film. I think, you know, this might be the future of financing for a certain kind of independent film. I think... Uh, you know, it's still it, you can't get any Kickstarter funded. I mean, our, our video game sequel cast show originally was was going to be started as a Kickstarter, and that sort of fell through. But that wasn't Kickstarter's failure, and it wasn't our failure. I'll say it's my failure. I didn't update it enough. Even if I did, I don't know if I would have met the goal of five hundred bucks, or whatever it, I said it was at the time. Uh, so it is one of those things where you know, if you have a name actor attached to something to raise money, you're more likely to raise money. For, I mean, a recent film that was financed actually was through Kickstarter and was actually filmed. Uh, it's something called The Canyon, or The Canyons, I think, uh, written by Brett Easton Ellis, who wrote the novel American Psycho, and directed by Paul Schrader, who uh, wrote Taxi Driver. And it stars Lindsay Lohan and a porn star whose name is, is it James Dean or something like that? I'm not sure. I, I I haven't exactly followed this. Oh, but uh, it seems pretty hysterical because I think Lindsay Lohan gets outacted by uh, the porn star. But the movie isn't out yet, but they've released a, a clip which looks terrible. It's called The Canyons. Um, James Dean, yeah, but this guy spells his name D-E-E-N. 
So, when calculating the unmovie producer, Christian makes films to keep his trust fund intact. His actor's girlfriend, Tara, hides an affair with an actor from her past. But Christian becomes aware of which thrusts the young Angelinos into a violent, sexually charged tour through the dark side of human nature. Well, right off the bat, how exactly does making films keep your trust fund intact? Because making films costs a lot of money. Hmm. I suspect it would deplete a trust fund faster than it would maintain it. Unless there's some really, unless like you got your trust fund from like an insane uncle who's like, oh, you can have the trust fund, but you must release one independent film a year. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird plot, but you have some good talent, at least on the director and the, the writer. So who knows? Um, gee, what? Uh, any other sequel news you'd want to talk about? No, that was the that was the the thing that was sort of most near and dear to me. Uh, if only only because it finally ties into a movie that we're talking about due to casting. Did you catch that new Man of Steel trailer? Yes, yes, I did. And and it fill it it fills me with with great ambivalence because on the one hand, it looks really sharp. Uh, it looks like. The whole movie is going to be dedicated to Superman's origin story, which I actually kind of like. I figure if you're going to have the origin story in the movie, the whole thing might as well be the origin story. Um, you know, Superman is one of my favorite characters. On the other hand, I just have no confidence in Zack Snyder, and I'm just I, I'm I'm waiting to go to this movie and just see nothing but. Zack Snydery stuff that's going to just not tell the Superman story well. Also, I really don't like the idea of of this cursed with awesome Superman the trailer seems to be putting on display. That's never really been part of the Superman mythos, and I don't think it's going to work well on the screen. All interesting points. We'll have to see what happens when it comes out. I am really enjoying Kevin Costner as Pa Kent in the trailer. That's, that's pretty cool. I think that's good casting. Pretty smart casting. Um, so now we're going to do uh, a segment on sequel cast. What you're watching? I will begin. I saw a documentary called uh, Kuma Ray mm-hmm. on uh, Netflix. Watched instantly, and uh, it was pretty interesting. It's an independent film released in 2011, uh, and the idea is the guy that wrote or the guy that directed and, and stars in the documentary. Vikram Gandhi is um, he's, he's Indian and he was looking around at yoga masters in the United States and in India and his opinion was they're all sort of frauds and they're just doing it for the for the pussy for the ladies for the the fame for the money for whatever and so he thought well he's going to build an identity make himself a yoga master and have a two uh, of his lady friends help uh, publicize uh, his name and his his teachings with it all being bullshit uh, with the intention to reveal himself that it was all a sham at the end and i it's a it's a really interesting documentary i mean i could have frankly have seen this as a reality show too really um but that goes uh spiritually some places you wouldn't expect and how his alter ego of Kumare affects uh, affects him, and all his teachings are about how about illusions. So he's sort of telling them secretly all along that he's not real. He's not really this yogi master, and yet he touches these people. It's a 
Mm. Does that sound interesting to you, or...? It, it actually does. I actually heard about this movie on the Comedy Film Nerds podcast. It kind of oh, has me okay. interested in checking it out. Did they like it on the Comedy Film Nerds uh, podcast? They they didn't say it, they didn't flat out say it was a good film, but they said it was very fascinating. But I like fascinating. It brings up a lot of. Uh very interesting points. And I like in the end how like not everyone sticks with him after he does the reveal. I thought that was pretty interesting too. Um, so what is something you've been watching, Thrasher? Well, uh, as I uh, as I mentioned well, Oblivion, uh, right. during my rant uh, earlier in this episode about my, my difficulty seeing Oz Great and Powerful, uh, I saw Oblivion with Tom Cruise last night. Morgan Freeman. And, and, and Morgan Freeman. Have you seen the other uh, big film directed by this director, Joseph Kaczynski? Uh, what else has he directed? Tron Legacy. Did not see it. Okay. Uh, so, Oblivion. Tom Cruise, uh, he plays Wally the robot. Is that right? Well, that, that is, if, if you are at all <laughs> science fiction literate, you're going to recognize everything in this film. This film pulls a lot of concepts from a lot of different science fiction films and, and novels and, and, and you know, rolls them together and plays with them and, and turns, them, turns it into a movie that we mostly haven't seen before. So, so it's 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 a yeah. lot of it's a lot of old ideas, but they are executed uh, they are executed fairly well. So do you think it was even though it's derivative, it's well done? Well, I don't think I think derivative. I don't. I think derivative is a, a a bad word, but you can you can see you can see all the math if you if you know science fiction, you know what this movie's doing. Hmm. And and that and that's actually something interesting because. I had actually had this whole film spoiled for me before I started it, before I, before I saw it. Oh, did you hear about it on a podcast or something? No. Well, half of the spoiling just came from the trailer itself. Uh, the trailer itself re- reveals yes. something that is not revealed until about halfway through the film, even though a savvy viewer will probably figure it out by, before then. And then the other stuff, uh, I'm, I'm a frequent reader of the AV Club website, and for a lot of movies, they write two reviews, the regular review and the spoiler review, and I read both of their reviews, including the one with all the spoilers. So, Because at the time, I didn't think I was going to see this. And interestingly enough, I don't think having any of that stuff spoiled for me uh, ruined the movie. Although that being said, I do think if I hadn't had it spoiled for me, I probably would have figured I probably would have figured out all the twists before they happened. Which again is not necessarily a bad thing. I like being along for the ride. I, I guess the shortest review I can give this movie is that it was good, not great, but it's the best kind of good. How was the visual and sound aspects of the film? Very good. Okay. Although within the first fifteen minutes of the film, I imagine David Spade leading into the frame and going, "Mass Effect called. They want their music back. the The music is straight out of Mass Effect. Well, that's not bad. That's really good music, and it fits this movie very, very well. Um, but you know, the music is just one of the many things in this film you'll recognize if you know science fiction. Um, but no, it looks it looks great and. Amazingly enough, it looks plausible. Like the every bit of 
future technology you see clearly has some sort of function, even if that function isn't obvious. Is Tom I Cruise like that act thing. like he's on cruise control? Yeah, he, he acts like he does in every film. But that's but uh, that's not bad. I find I find Tom Cruise to be blandly charming in anything mm. I see him in. But you're saying the music of the film sounds something like No, well, it's more like There's a lot of that. Oh, okay. Like that that kind of thing where there's kind of a theme that's just constantly repeated and every now and then there's a there's a, a key change and it's all synthesized. And lastly about Oblivion. Yes. Uh, does it have a titular line? Does Tom Cruise look around and say, My God, this is oblivion? Thankfully no. Okay. There's no titular line, which which uh I rather like. Uh also I do have to give this film props. Uh I think this is the f- I think this is the first uh, film, or at least the first major studio film, to feature a Von Neumann probe. I don't know what that is. Uh, this might very well spoil the movie, so skip ahead. Uh, a Von Neumann probe, uh, the idea is that it's a space probe, that you send it out into space and it analyzes things and broadcasts information back to you, but if it ever finds uh, the same materials that it's made out of, it will make a copy of itself. And then the original and the copy will go off in two different directions and keep transmitting and scanning and transmitting. And then if the original or the copy finds the same materials it's made out of, it copies itself again. And so it just continues to it continues to replicate itself. And so each successive generation, you're covering more area and you're getting more and more data. Hmm. Um, all right. Well, you know, I hope you like this episode of the sequel cast. It's an um, odd episode. It is, yeah. It's an, an odd, odd duck. On Oz the Great and Powerful. And hope you liked our three-film look at the Oz films. Um, so next week on SequelCast, we're going to start a, a very long film franchise. We're going <laughs> to tackle all, oh my goodness, eight Harry Potter films. Oh, that's right. There are eight. Yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> Star Wars wasn't enough. we got to do a big one. No, so we're doing Harry Potter. <laughs> Which we've been talking about doing for a bit, but it's we're mainly doing it leading up to uh, I, uh, my wife and myself are going to be at LeakyCon in Portland, Oregon, which is a big Harry Potter convention. We got press passes to go, and we're going to do sequel cast special episodes covering that uh, convention. Going to do anything live there? Uh, I, I'm in negotiations, so we'll see. Groovy. Possibly, not. I'll certainly be recording stuff live if nothing else. But whether I'm going to have a panel. Or not, I don't know, but I want to do some sort of meetup to sequel cast listeners in the Portland, Oregon area. Because um, it, where the convention is is right around the, the mall. So it's a very popular area of Portland that is not downtown. Very cool. And I, I am getting ready for Comic Palooza. When is that? That, I need, actually, I should probably know that, shouldn't I? Uh, let me see. Ah, here we go. Uh, Comic Palooza is in 29 days from this recording, and why they just don't have the frickin' date. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend, May yes, 24th Memorial to the 26th. So. Which, incidentally, is my cat's birthday. Now, I don't know for sure he was born then, but that's when I found him as a kitten. I assume he was born within a few days of then. Well, <laughs> we've got lots of convention shenanigans coming up. Are you going to get to see Patrick Stewart at a Comic Palooza? 
With any luck, I will. Yes, uh, I'm working. Well, I'm working uh, there with uh, with Skirmisher Publishing and, and D Infinity. And what's really rock and awesome is that uh, Skirmisher Publishing is in charge of the official convention party. And uh, you know, we had Larry Niven show up last year, among other people. With any luck, some of the Star Trek people will show up this year. Very good. All right, well, that's about it for this episode of the SequelCast. Uh, again, if you like the show, you can donate at SequelCast.com slash donate or check out episodes of the show at SequelCast.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SequelCast. You can follow me at Internet Mayor. So for the SequelCast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying... Welcome to Oz. Or goodbye from Oz. Or something. I believe there's a line of dialogue in Oz the Great and Powerful where he says, Oh, I'm so glad to be in the merry old land of Oz. Which is a callback to a song from The Wizard of Oz. Hee oh, hee hee, ho ho ho, and a couple, and a of, couple of tralalas. That's how we send the day away in the merry the old, old land of Oz. Snip, snip, yeah, snip, snip, there, and then we buff your claws. That's how we... Was Make you look fresh and new in the very old land of Oz. Oh, that's a good song. Oh, we have to think of a dirty lyric for that one. Come on. Oh, ooh. Oof, uh, With a handy here and a handy oh, there. Now on. open up those jaws. That's how we <laughs> suck a giant cock in the middle. Oh, God, don't, I'm not going to. I'm incriminating myself or something. <laughs> I'm incriminating. That's, I'm embarrassed by that shitty, dirty song lyric I just came up with. <laughs> Uh, Send all your angry letters to Matt for not editing that out. I, so, I so, so ladies, uh, send Thrasher an email <laughs> at sequelcast at gmail.com asking about his merry old cock of Oz. Um, tune in next it, week it, where you talk uh, about... It's emerald, uh, okay. but it doesn't have a heart. The emerald cock of Oz. Uh, tune in next week where you talk about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And, and possibly more things about Genesis.